vile body to a glorified body, and that's the context of that, that verse there. The word rot means to be operative or effective, or we theologians like to use the word efficacious. And the word efficacious means capable of having the desired result or effect. It's effective as a means. It's the remedy. Uh, and, and so if the death of Christ, is the, somebody said if the death of the Christ is the supreme demonstration of the love of God, the resurrection of Christ is the supreme demonstration of the power of God. And of course, Romans 1 says in verse 4, And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So God demonstrated His power to us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, that was superhuman power that brought Jesus from the dead. And only God has that power. Um, so He has power. Of course, we know that God and the Lord Jesus has, he has power over death. Uh, he has power over principalities and powers and might and dominion. It's talking about uh, heavenly powers there or, 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 or demonic powers. He's the head over the church. And the word head there speaks of both men and uh, it often refers to uh, uh, um, superior over both of men and often of animals. Of course, he had control of animals as well. Uh, and the, you know, and, and so think about that word head. You know, the loss of the head destroys life. This word is often used in phrases relating to capital punishment. So head speaks of life. Uh, it's, it speaks of a supreme or chief or prominent person, master, lord. And it says he's the head of the church. He is able to quicken, to give life. Uh, To sit us in the heavenlies, chapter 2 talks about. To transform our lives, chapter 2, verse 10 talks about that we are uh, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in him. So here we're, we're talking about a superhuman power. Not just any power. And the fullness of this is... In the New Testament, the body of believers it refers to being filled with the presence and the power and the riches of God and of Christ. Now we're talking about a New Testament church. And God's power and presence and His riches is there. The word filleth. In verse 23, says to make means to make full, to fill up. Somebody said Christians, I would rather say churches, are said simply as those who are pervaded, and that word pervaded means richly furnished, furnished with the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit, rooted as it were in Christ, by virtue of an, the intimate relationship entered into with Him. So, so he is the head, and he is the fullness. He filleth all. And so he is the life of the church. He is the command center of the church. There's an interesting verse in Colossians 2.10 where it says, And ye are complete in him. Now, he wrote to the church of Colossae. He wasn't writing to Christianity at large. He was writing to the church of Colossae, and he says, And ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. Uh, 
in Christ, someone has said about that, that Christ is exalted to share in the divine administration is said to fill or pervade the universe with his presence, power, activity, and execute his counsels in all things and all places. Now, I have a question about that. Does the presence, power, and activity of Christ pervade, that means to fill every part of the universe? See, that's what theologians teach you when you believe in a universal church. But if you read this in context, if you read this in context, he's talking about the church at Ephesus. In verse 22 again, he says, And hath put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Uh, go to chapter 4. Go to chapter 4. Verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So he says there's one body. For you Ephesians, there's one body. There's one church. That's the church at Ephesus. He would say to you tonight, for you there is one body, there's one church. That's Lighthouse Baptist Church. That's what he'd say to you. There's one church for you, and that's Lighthouse Baptist Church in Rollsville, North Carolina. So he's talking here about a local church, and this local church has all the fullness of the power and presence of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me give you four things. First of all, a church, therefore, has authority to bind and loose. Again, we're talking about, this is supernatural power. Of course, we're talking about a church is complete by itself, a local church, and empowered to do the work of God, and and of binding and loosing, and that's church discipline, what we call church discipline. Uh, It has the power to give out the gospel. We've been told that in Matthew chapter 28 and other places. But go to Matthew chapter 16, as we think about the authority to bind and loose. Matthew 16, verse 19. Matthew 16, 19. Let's, let's start in verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, you know, Peter means little rock. The other word rock has the idea of a boulder, a large rock. And we know from other places in Scripture that Christ Jesus is the rock. First Corinthians chapter 10 says the rock that followed him, and that rock was Christ. He's the rock. 
And, and the Lord's not saying here, Peter, I'm building my church upon you. I'm building the church upon me. But he is saying to Peter, and will be later also said to the other apostles, in verse 19, I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now the Lutheran Catholics like to take these two verses, or these three verses, and say, see, Peter was the first pope. He had, he had a sole authority to bind and loose. No, he didn't have sole authority. You're going to find that that authority is also shared with the other apostles later on. And it's really invested in the church. It's invested in the church. Now, uh, well, let's, let's, let's go to chapter 18. Chapter 18. And see, this is spoken of again. And, you know, and again, you know, think about it. The Lord gives us little bits and a little, little bit more and a little bit more so that we can grasp it. And that's what we're seeing here. In, in chapter 18, he makes reference to this again, verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, so he's talking to the whole group of the disciples. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye, it's not now thee, which is singular, it's ye, which is plural. So he's saying to all the disciples, the whole group of them, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now you say, well, why do you say that to Peter? Well, Peter was to be the first pastor. So it's kind of understanding that he would say that to Peter first. But here we see he doesn't say it just to Peter. He's saying it to all of them. Whatever ye bind on earth. Whatever, whatsoever you loose on earth. And so, so this is given. This authority is given to the church. Not to a simple, a, a singular man. But the word bind. And we want to look at these words bind and loose. The word bind means to forbid. Means to prohibit. To declare to be illicit. That's the definition of the Greek word. Of course, illicit means not legally permitted or authorized. So we're talking about something that's not legally permitted or authorized. It's unlicensed or it's unlawful or it's disapproved of. So it's something that the, to bind is something that the church has deemed not scriptural, not approved. By scriptural standards. That's the idea. It's unlawful. It's not right according to the scriptures. And of course the word loose is the opposite. It means to declare it lawful. Or to declare it approved. And so the church has the authority then. To bind. To declare what is approved. And to declare what is not approved. You know, 1 Timothy 3.15 tells us the church, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. You know, and think about that. When Lighthouse Baptist Church, as a church, when we discipline or vote somebody out of the church, or we have disapproved that person fit for church membership anymore, 
Should they be taken in by another church? No, they should not be. You know, people say, I've heard this, there's no sense in doing church discipline, it don't work anymore. You know why it doesn't work? Because when they get disciplined in one church, they just go to another and they're taken in. You know, we had, we've had quite a few people leave this church in the last five years. I don't think we've ever got one phone call from a pastor saying, um, what do you know about these people that showed up at our church this morning? When some, somebody else shows up at our church from another church, I'm not going to call your pastor, but, you know, when somebody else shows up from another church, unexpectedly, for, and, and we wonder why they're here, because we know they go to some other church, or they tell us they come from another church, the first thing I do is call their pastor. It's not fun, but it can save you a lot of trouble. You know, there are reasons to leave a church, and not everybody is voted out when they leave and so are disciplined, but, but that's another matter. But, you know, when, when a member, when a person is disapproved or, or, or bound, as the word says here, they should not be taken in by another church. They're taking in someone that's in error, according to the scripture. Uh, in in, uh, in uh, Acts chapter 15, we see an example of somebody that was disapproved. You remember the council at Jerusalem when, the, when the, there, were, there were some that came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and told the disciples, Antioch, you must be circumcised to be saved. And so they had this council at Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas went up and there was this great discussion about, about this issue. And, and, and the, one of the statements that James made, in, he was a pastor at Jerusalem, in, in uh, Acts 15.24, he said this, For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. They were subverting their souls. In other words, they were turning away from a right state. And, and, and Dame said they went out from us, but not legally permitted. They were not authorized or they did not go out from us, approved by us. So, you know, a church has authority to bind and loose. Church has authority to authorize. Or we call it send out. To send out. And this is part of this authority of the fullness that we have in Christ. Uh, when we moved here to help start Lighthouse Baptist Church, we were sent out or authorized by Calvary Baptist Church in Carborough. Yeah, Evan Francis has been authorized or sent out or approved by Lighthouse Baptist Church. Yeah, this is a serious responsibility to the church. Timothy, or Paul, in 1 Timothy 5.22 says this, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of mother man's sins, keep thyself pure. And of course, Timothy is known as a pastoral epistle. Timothy's pastoring. We believe he was pastoring at that time at the church at Ephesus. And so Paul wrote to him and gave him instructions concerning the pastor, and he said, Timothy, 
be careful who you authorize. Be careful who you send out. Don't lay hands on any man suddenly. Don't be partakers of other man's sins. You see, a church has, but a church has this authority. It's part of the power that's been given to us and the authority, the fullness of Christ that we have in him. The church also has authority to disapprove or declare unlawful or in doctrinal error or unfit or unprepared. had a man who wanted to join our church if we would send him out or authorize him. He said, I can't guarantee. And I began to question about doctrine. And he said, well, I'm not sure about the rapture. And he was not settled on what the church is, local or universal. I said, I can't guarantee that. I offered some teaching on the rapture and the second coming of Christ, but he wasn't interested. He just went and joined another church. I guess that don't matter there. Well, the Bible says, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 2. Verse 1, this, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, giving to hospitality, apt to teach. In 2 Timothy 2, and verse 24, Paul repeats this, where he says in 2 Timothy 2, 24, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. And then, of course, in Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, I guess is another pastoral epistle, in verses uh, 5 through 9, he says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. So he, he wrote Timothy and said, you know, a, a bishop or a pastor or a missionary or whoever it is you authorize to the ministry has to be apt to teach. Apt to teach means skillful to teach. He has to be able to rightly divide the scriptures. He has to understand right doctrine. Titus here tells us that he needs to be sound in the faith. Sound in the faith. And so, you know, a church then has the authority to disapprove. We have the authority to examine people when they come in and they say, well, we want to join your church. Okay. 
we were at that Bible conference a couple weeks ago, Pastor Webb and I, and Pastor uh, Custer, Mike Custer from up in North Dakota, was saying, he said, you know, several years ago, he said, I was, I was beginning to wonder about us. He said, we'd have people visit, and he, and he said, you know, we had this nice family come visit, and they visited three or four weeks, and he said, uh, uh, so then I went to visit them. And, uh, and they said, Pastor, we want to join your church. And he said, okay, let me ask you a few questions. And he said, I began to ask them about their salvation, and that was okay. And then I asked them about their baptism, and then he said, we had a problem. And all of a sudden, they didn't want to join our church. I was kind of getting a complex. Uh, you know, the church is responsible to examine those that would join the church and those they would authorize or send out. It's their responsibility. You know, one of the things that Paul warned Timothy about was not to lay hands on a novice, someone that's unprepared. Uh, in, in chapter 3, verse 6, not a novice, lest he f- be lifted up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So a church then has this authority, but also a church also has the authority and the ability given to it by God to edify itself. Now, you notice in verses 22 and 23 again, it says, and he hath and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Uh, so again, I believe the idea here is that the church is full or complete in and of itself with Christ as his head. It doesn't need outside help. By itself. Go to chapter 4. Chapter 4. And we see this expanded upon here. In verse 11 it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And of course, we, again, we understand that a body of Christ is a church, a local church. Uh, We are a body made up of members, just like this body of mine is made up of different members, but all those members function for the good of the body. And and he's given to the church, it's apostles, of course, apostles are no more, prophets, you know, you know, there's there's two ways you can look at the word prophet. In the Old Testament scriptures, prophets foretold. For example, Isaiah said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And, and you know, he was foretelling something was going to happen hundreds of years later. But prophets also foretell. In other words, they tell what is written. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm telling what is written. I'm not telling you anything in the future that's not given to us already in the Scriptures. The foretelling is no more. The fourth telling continues. And, of course, it's done with pastors and teachers for the perfecting saints. Evangelists, the word evangelist, really, we use, we use the word missionary. Same idea. Paul was an evangelist. He planted churches. Until the last two or three centuries, that's what evangelists did. They planted churches. They were church planters. Uh, 
you know, the guy that runs around from church to church every week really isn't in the scriptures. You know, is it wrong to do that? Not necessarily. It can be a help to the church, but that's not something we really see in the scriptures uh, unless you want to call it an exhorter or something. But, but anyway, but the church here, and so he's given these gifts to the church for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, so that the body, and the idea here is so the body can do the work of the ministry, uh, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And the word edify means to build or to build up. And, and let's read on here. There's, a, there's, a, there's something I want you to see. It says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth and love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of, what's that next word? Itself. Edifying itself in love. And you know there is kind of a progression here in a sense. It says, till we all come in, in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You know, churches grow spiritually and numerically. I was at a, a uh, church planning conference years ago by the guy that, that uh, he was a missionary in Canada, and his church in Canada, I think he started three or four churches out of that church. And then he... he uh, he went into a church planting ministry helping churches plant churches. And, uh, and one of the things, I remember one of the things he said is, we don't want our baby churches reproducing. You know, we weren't ready to plant a church. We still aren't ready to plant a church. You know, if you're, if you're going to plant churches, you ought to send some people. It may be a few years down the road. You know, Calvary Baptist planted this church. And they helped us get started. Um, but, you know, there's a maturity here that's talked about. Uh, and, and the maturity or the building up is of itself. It's with itself. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, we can't have a guest speaker or somebody come in. You know, again, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That was common in the New Testament. They did that as well. You know, John talks about it in Third John. But, but uh, the church can edify, it has the authority and the ability given to it by God to edify and instruct itself. Your denominations, conventions, colleges, universities, and mission boards do not have this authority. Now I'm going somewhere with this. And when we turn to those, it becomes the work of the machinery combining the efforts of men. You know, churches pay the organizations to do the work God empowered the church to do. And only the church. He is the head of the church. He is not the head of mission boards or colleges or universities. 
or denominations or conventions. And what always happens with these organizations is there is doctrinal truth that is sacrificed at the price of unity. And we lose the power of God and rely on the power and methods of men. You see, these organizations have no God-given authority. We churches do. We churches do. God has given us a mandate. A mandate is an authoritative command. You know, so we've been given a, a, a mandate for the instruction of the saints, which would include training our own pastors, our own missionaries, and sending them out. So that authority, when we think about the fullness of Christ, and the power that is to us work. God has given us that power, that authority. You know, sometimes I think about that and I think, I don't know if I can do that. But we must remember where God, where God leads and guides, he also provides. I remember years ago, soon after we started, it was probably a couple years after we started, we were out in visitation one afternoon. It was a Saturday afternoon. It was down here in Rollsville on the left-hand side of Main Street. I remember where it was. I met this older man. He was a retired missionary. And he invited me to their prayer group. And he said, we need to come together for prayer for the body of Christ. Sounds so nice. And I said, will we come together at our church and pray together? He said, no, no, no. He said, no, no. We need to come together. We need to cross denominational lines. And we need to all come together for prayer for the body, the whole body of Christ. I said, the problem is when we do that, we sacrifice doctrinal truth for unity. And he, he said, well, when you get older like me, you'll understand. And I said to myself, I hope not by the grace of God. But this is what I said to him. It was Abraham the separated one who had the power with God. Abraham had the power of God. He separated from Lot, the compromiser. You see, God has invested his fullness of, of authority in his churches. In his churches. You know, we need to take that responsibility seriously and fulfill the commandments he's given us. And he needs, what we need, is the full participation of every part of the body. You, know, you are part of that body. And what God desires is that we all work together to carry out these responsibilities he has given us by his authority. We are given his authority to do these things.
might God help us to take them seriously, to take the church seriously and our responsibility to our Lord in His church. Let's pray.